Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? What's good? What's good? What's up? What's up? What's happening? What's happening? Uh, boy, boy, oh boy. So, game seven, I shouldn't have this much energy when it's this late at night. <laughs> I'm, I'm recording this after the game sevens. Um, we had two game sevens in each conference. Obviously, we know about Milwaukee, we know about Boston, uh, and then out west, we had Phoenix and Dallas. And this is not like my traditional, like regular episode. This is more like a check-in, quick, something quick, right after game seven, like a reaction, uh, a quick first reaction. Obviously, I'll have some episodes later on, you know, later on in the week, um, explaining, debriefing what happened and looking ahead to, you know, the conference finals in both, obviously in both conferences. But first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kit of the Isaiah Kit Podcast. Shouts out, shouts out to everybody listening. First time listener, shouts out to you. If you're a last time listener, shouts out to you too. Um, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. But game, we had two game sevens, and these games, it's it's so weird, it's interesting because these games, neither of these games are relatively close. Um, Boston. The, the Boston and Walker game, it started off really close. Um, as the as the game went on, obviously Boston broke away. Grant Williams, on you know, unexpected hero, had a big game, 27 points. I think he had seven threes. Huge game for Grant Williams. Um, and it's just, you know, it's games, it's it's game sevens that make heroes um like really surprise heroes like Grant Williams. No. Grant, who would have thought Grant Williams is going to score 27 points that in a game seven versus Milwaukee? But that is why game sevens are so great. Game sevens, game seven. Uh, win or go home. So, and then out, out Phoenix, we had a complete whooping, beatdown, molly walk from Dallas. Dallas just, they just came out on fire. And I want to start with the Dallas and Phoenix series because. I thought this series, the first two games, obviously Luca was awesome. Luca was awesome throughout the series. Luca has put everybody on on note. If you don't know, if you haven't noticed, I think Luca is probably a top five player in basketball. And it, and after after the game seven tonight, I don't think there is no probably. I think like he is definite. Like if you don't have him in your top five, something is wrong. So he is a definite top five player in basketball right now as we speak. Um, and some will probably make the argument that, like, top three, maybe even the best player in the world. That is right now the pulse and the conversation going around about Luka Dantich. And you, if you guys, if you're a regular listener of the pod, shouts out to regular listeners. If you're a regular listener of the pod, you all know that I'm big on Luka. I'm huge on Luka. Huge. It's been this way for years now. I've made so many lists. I've had so many segments dedicated to the Mavericks and Luca. Um and I'm and hopefully this week I'm 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 looking to bring on a special guest. Uh I'm a some someone close to the situation and the organization down in Dallas. Um so I, I'm gonna have a special guest for you guys coming up later this week, um, in a later episode, a later date. But this Luca train, um I'm not going to say like I've been like the the captain but like I kind of been like the co-captain like I've been le- I've been leading this this Luca train and him being essentially if not the best player in basketball for the next coming years 
definitely one of the faces of the league and definitely one of the best players in basketball, if he's not the best. I know a lot of people would argue probably Giannis. I know some probably some people probably still even argue Kevin Durant. But Luka right now is having a great playoffs. Great playoffs. And I think it's important to note, he's he averages 39, 9, and 10 in elimination games at the age of 23. What we're seeing from Luka is like, He's on the same. He's like, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound too hyperbole. I don't want to. I don't want this to be like. Um, I don't want to have recency bias. I don't because I don't. I I get on a lot of people, and I I talk and I I, I critique a lot of people when they have recency bias, and they just re, we just instantly react to the first thing that we that is the the most recent thing that has happened. But I think there is a body of work. Throughout his first three years or his three seasons or three years in the playoffs where he had the bubble year versus the Clippers, he was phenomenal despite the despite the Mavs losing a six. And then the Clippers last year, really great series. He was phenomenal despite them losing in six games. They get over the hump. They win a first-round series. Then they win a second-round series. Now in the conference finals. This is called progression. And I think we have progression right now in Luca. And like I said, if you're if you're not on point, this is the time to be on point. I feel like this is the time to be on point. So that's my thing with with the whole like with Luca and his star, his superstardom, just going to a next level. Because I think it's games like this. It's obviously postseason runs like this that take your superstardom to the next level. Not so much. Obviously, the regular season helps. The, you know, having great regular season helps, obviously, but it's winning series like this, having defining moments in game sevens like this, like he had tonight. That is what rises your stardom. That is what people remember. People are going to remember, like, I-, I tweeted it out, I think, but, like, people going to, like, this is a defining moment in Luca's young career. It is. It truly is. This is going to be a defining moment for years. So this is not something that we're going to forget. Like, we're going to remember, oh, yeah, Luca came out, set the tempo, set the pace of this game in Game 7, and he crushed Phoenix. The Mavericks crushed Phoenix. Simple as that. So, Phoenix, I'm going to have the final score. The final score, I don't even know if it was this close. Well, it was 123 to 90, but I don't even know. I don't even think the final score is as close. Like, I think this game was, it, it was, it was over by halftime. <laughs> Phoenix was down 30, but the score doesn't really, it doesn't really give you the full encapsulation of this domination of the Mavericks. And I, I and I must say this. I picked Phoenix to win this series in six games. I did. I picked I picked Phoenix to win this game. I mean the series in six in six games. As you heard on my most recent podcast that I did with no layups, aka Najee, we talked about the possibility of a game seven happening in this series. And I told myself, I was like, if a game seven happens, then that's where I have to take the best player. And I know, I know, it may be cliche, and you may hear it a lot, but in Game 7s, 
especially in the NBA and basketball, typically, usually, I go with the best player. I go with the best player on the floor. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions. Uh, like I said, I picked Boston to win in seven games versus Milwaukee. Giannis is probably the best player in that series, but today he was not the best player on the floor. And Giannis, uh, the the margin between Giannis and Jason Tatum is not as wide as the margin between Luka Doncic and Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Because those, like, Luka Doncic was no absolutely no doubt the best player in this series. Jason Tatum, game six, got the best of Giannis. Game, Jason Tatum had a phenomenal game. Jason Tatum, after that stinker in game three, played a phenomenal series. Boston went on to win. But this is where I say I usually go with the best player in a game seven because of the prime example tonight with Luka Dantage. He was absolute, absolutely the best player on the floor, and it wasn't even close. And with that, it comes with setting a tone. The best player is typically, especially if it's like a guy like Luka, LeBron, I've seen it a lot with LeBron. In, in critical games, in must-win games, in game sevens, LeBron was usually the best player on the floor, and he usually had the ball in his hands, and he was able to control the, t- the pace and the tempo of the game. And that's what Luka did. Luka set the tone. It started with Luka. It ended with Luka. He set the tone. He, he, he started the game off red hot. He set the pace. And then, thankfully, the guys around him, the others, the supporting cast of the Mavericks, this came, this came, they came right in. But that's what happens when you have the best player on the floor and, 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 that best, and the best player has the ball in his hand. He is able to control the pace, the tempo, and set the tone of the game. Simple as that. And that's typically why it's become a cliche as to when people say, oh, whoever has the best player, that's who they go with. And that's what, and that was my thought process with the Dallas Mavericks tonight. They had the best player. I don't think they necessarily, I mean, one could argue that they didn't have a better team than Phoenix, but they had the best player on the floor. And Luka set the tone. He set the dynamic of the game. He, it's simple as that. Obviously, it it takes huge contributions from a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench. That was a midseason trade. Way to go. Shouts out to the Mavericks organization and front office for making such, taking a, a big leap and moving Christos Porzingis and getting a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie who then comes in and scores 30 off the bench. Obviously, a guy like Jalen Brunson who is... Seems like he's bound for a huge payday. He gives you 24. And then, like, you know, I, like the, the other guys, like Vinny Smith, Bullock, they didn't have huge nights, but what they were able to do defensively to Devin Booker and Chris Paul and the job that they did on those guys, it's going to go unspoken. It's, go, it's definitely going to go unspoken. The Mavericks shot 48% from three. They made 19 three-pointers tonight. And for Phoenix, it was a complete letdown. And I don't want to let this chance and this opportunity go by. But once again, shouts out to Jason Kidd 
and the job that he has done with the Dallas Mavericks. And I think it's, I'm not gonna say easy to point out, but the key, the key difference between this year's team and the Mavericks the last two years is the defensive side of the basketball. Dallas, the previous two years, were great offensively. They were potent offensively. When you're led by Luka, you're going to be great offensively because he's going to get others involved. Luka's going to get his. You're going to be great and fine offensively. They were able to stretch the floor. Like, Dallas didn't lack a lot offensively. One, You know, another ball handler and, you know, shot creator, they, they were lacking those, you know, the last couple of years. Um, consistent ball handling and shot creators and shot makers. But offensively, Dallas could do it all. Defensively is where the challenge was. And that's that was the next step to them being able to win a playoff series or winning multiple playoff series. And now they find themselves in the conference finals. So that's a lot of that has to do with Jason Kidd and the defensive mindset that he has installed in this team. And that's the key difference. That's my key takeaway with the Mavericks, with them going from them going from a first round exit to a Western Conference Finals appearance. And I think they got a damn. I think they got a damn good shot. I know you guys know I picked Golden State to win the West and ultimately to win it all. But I think Dallas has a damn good shot at winning this series versus Golden State. Not saying I'm picking them. I'm not going to give you guys a definitive prediction yet, but that's just what I'm thinking. That I think Dallas has a damn good shot. So just looking at all things considered, Luka is special. Luka's on a different level. Luka's on a different planet. But then in terms of a game seven, it goes to show you when you have the best player on the floor, you can control the tempo, the pace, in the rhythm of the game, especially when that like that player has the ball in their hands a lot and he's being able to dictate the playmaking decisions, who's getting shots, he hit him, him finding his rhythm and groove. Luca got he got going early and ultimately it never went back. He he, he like he it, the well didn't get dry. <laughs> the well was never dry with Luca tonight. The well was never dry. Very efficient night. 12 for 19 from the field, 6 of 11 from 3, plus minus was 37. Can't ask for much more. You can't. And then looking at Phoenix, I I thought this team, I said they would win this series in in 6. Like, I thought they would win this series in 6. As I already stated, if it went 7 games, I picked the Mavericks to win it. Um, I don't even know where to start for this this Phoenix team. Obviously, they had a dominant regular season, but you're just look, you're just looking at some of the production. Just the not even in Game Seven, but the overall production from certain guys, certain key contributors for Phoenix, and it it, it just wasn't there. I think a guy like Mikael Bridges, I, I expected a little bit more. He's one of the more, he's one of the premier three and D guys in the league. I expected a little bit more this series. I'm not saying he had to shut down Luca, but Luca just had his way versus Phoenix. Luca owned 
Phoenix. Luca, this this type of performance remind me of what he was doing to the Clippers, to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who are really good two way players. And with Mikael Bridges, I thought with his size, his length, um. I thought he could provide. I thought he can give Luca some trouble on the perimeter. Just didn't happen, and then the shot wasn't falling. Like, and a lot of this kind of stems back with Chris Paul. The Chris Paul thing. Chris Paul. I think he has now lost four playoff series where he was leading 2-0, where he had a 2-0 lead. So Chris Paul is the player version of Doc Rivers in terms of losing. 2-0 series leads. <laughs> that's what that's what he has become. And I think I talked about this. Chris Paul is a great player. I think he's had a great career. He's going to go down as one of the greatest point guards of all time, right? But in terms of big spots and big moments, I just have seen it too much. Too much. I have seen it. I've, I've seen him just fold under pressure completely fold under pressure. He's already like a small guard. He's a small guy. But he 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 gets even he gets even smaller in big moments. So when you have a guy like Chris Paul who is struggling to find any type of effectiveness to really have to really like imprint his mark on on, on, on critical games. When you have guys like Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder, who can't necessarily create their own shots, and they have to look to Chris Paul to do that, that that kind of falls back on Chris. Devin Booker, an absolute, like, Devin Booker didn't show up at all tonight. Aiden or Devin Booker. So I, all, all across the board, I think it was a just an overall letdown for Phoenix. Because it seems that if, Throughout the regular season, they was bound to get back to the Western Conference Finals and bound to get back to the point they were last year to resurrect their finals loss. And it was very it was something really different. And this is somewhat, I'm not gonna say the book on Chris Paul, but this is kind of the book on Chris Paul. Get up, get up underneath him, get physical. He becomes a little lackadaisical with the ball. He gets a little frustrated. He commits silly fouls. I thought, you know, on the back end of this series, he committed a lot of he, – he got in early foul trouble a lot of the time. And that came from frustration because that came from having turnovers, being forced to make decisions at times where you don't usually want to make it. The Pelicans made Chris Paul a little uncomfortable. The Mavericks made Chris Paul a little uncomfortable. And even dating back to the finals of last year, Drew Holiday made Chris Paul very uncomfortable. That threw that threw Phoenix offense off. That threw their that threw their offensive rhythm off. Their offensive flow was completely thrown off once Chris Paul was flustered. Once Chris Paul was flustered and was overwhelmed by the constant pressure that Dallas would send, it messed up the whole dynamic of their offense. And then I think Jason Kidd's approach tonight was anybody but Booker. Anybody but Devin Booker. And that was a great approach. He completely took Devin Booker out of this game really early. 
I think I think Devin Booker started the game off for 0 for 7. 0 for 7. And by the time he got up that seven shot, the game was over. <laughs> the game was over. It was an absolute blitz. So, like I said, I think it was an overall letdown for Phoenix. Um, they're, they're guys like Jay Crowder and Makai Bridges, uh, key contributors to last year's team that got, you know, you know, that got last year that got them to the finals in terms of a guy like a guy like Cameron Payne. He just didn't have that same spark that he had last postseason. So tough break for Phoenix. Great regular season. Um, I think this is a really good team. I think this team is well put together, but at times, let's be honest. Phoenix third option, and I'm not saying all the time, and I'm not saying this guy is their best, their third best player, but at times, Phoenix offense gets a bit stagnant, especially when Chris Paul isn't being he when he's not that playmaker that they have. When they if that's not at their disposal, Phoenix third option is sometimes Jay Crowder, and that's it. In that that right there. Tells you all you need to know. <laughs> sometimes, and I repeat, sometimes Phoenix, their offense, when Chris Paul is flustered and overwhelmed, Jay Crowder turns into their third or second option on offense. That is not a recipe for success. And that should tell you everything you need to know about Phoenix when things are completely thrown off in terms of offensively. So, just that. I don't know. I don't know what you guys want me to tell you. Uh, Shouts out to Dallas. I want to get to this Bucks and Celtics series. Um, The Celtics, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. I am not going to the end of this. I swear. I swear I'm not going to the end of this. Now, credit to myself, and I usually don't do this, but credit to myself, I did pick the Celtics to win in seven games. Um, But still, I still know there's going to be a group of people, despite me picking the Celtics in seven games, <laughs> they're still going to come after me. No, but all, in all seriousness, I say this about the Celtics. Looking at Dallas, I talked about the progression that Dallas has made. Now, I, I think the Celtics are favorites. They should be favorites heading into this Miami series. Um, I'm I, I, Now, I can give you my prediction on this series. I think the Celtics win uh, this next series in six games. I'm, I'm going to pick them in six games. But the Celtics have an improvement in terms of size. They're still, like, I know Robert Williams is an undersized center, but the fact that they can throw Robert Williams and Al Horford at you in their front court and then have guys like Jason Tatum, who's 6'8", 6'9", guys like Jalen Brown, who's 6'6", 6'7", on the perimeter, and then Marcus Smart, who's 6'5", not a small guy himself either. The mere fact that they can give you that type of lineup, despite none of the guys being seven foot, they have a size advantage. 
That is that is that is that is good size, especially on the perimeter. So I give Boston that. And that is that's part of the reason what makes them such an elite defensive team. Boston is such an elite defensive team. So and, and that's why I'm riding with them. That and that and honestly, that's why Boston, that's the difference. I felt like Boston the last couple of years, they have they turned into this. Because you know Jason Tatum's emergence and I think Jalen Brown's emergence um, offensively, I think they turned into this finesse offensive gear team. But this year, un- shout once again, shouts out to Emma Udoka. Emma Udoka and his imprint and his personality has rubbed off on this team, and they have turned themselves back into a defensive oriented a defensive first team because you look at those those couple years where they got to the conference finals under Brad Stevens their their identity was defense now though this year's defense don't really compare to the other those other years like this year's defense is a great defense this is an elite defense this is like an all-time type of defense that they have right here in terms of being able to switch in their versatility and the athleticism that they have at each position. That's the big step for Boston. Obviously, like I said, after game after game after Jason Tatum's game three stinker, Jason Tatum has he he's been phenomenal. He's been phenomenal. He's been phenomenal. Uh and it's just so funny because like we're watching it. Like we're watching, we're watching what I've been, what I've been saying about some of these young guys. We're watching it materialize in front of us, and I've been on this. And you know, like I said, if you're a regular listener, you know this. I've been on the Luka Dantage and Jason Tatum trains. I've been on those. I've been following and talking about those guys, and have spent segments on those guys over the past couple of years. Like I'm, like I'm years in this. Years deep into this. So, like, when I see Luka winning game, winning game sevens, going on to play in the conference finals, when I see Jason Tatum having a huge game six, a, a, a career-defining game six, and then come back around, win game seven, we're watching it materialize what I've been talking about. I, I literally remember an episode that I did, I think, like, a year and a half ago, maybe, maybe two years, maybe even two years, where I talked about Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic being the two best young stars in basketball, like literally. So it's it's kind of, for me, for myself, it's kind of fulfilling to see it materializing and happening because these guys have great shots to get to the NBA Finals and playing on the big stage. Obviously, the the, the injury to... Chris Middleton was huge. Um, Milwaukee not having him and Middleton being absent in this series. It was it was huge. It was huge for sure. It was so if you're a Milwaukee fan, don't make it I don't want I don't want to make it seem like I'm giving Boston all of the credit, but Boston had played a hell of a series. Boston's a hell of a team. They're a championship caliber team this year. And with Milwaukee, Giannis didn't particularly play well today. 10 for 26 from the field, 1 for 4 from 3, 25 points. He had 20 boards and 9 assists, nearly a triple-double. But he didn't have the same impact 
that he usually has. The same type of domination that he usually has. Um, I thought Drew Holiday, the the energy that he had to extend and expense on offense and then happen to play great defense, I think it finally caught up. That's why his shooting numbers this series have been the best. Grayson Allen, he had a he had a stinker in game six. I think he shot one for seven. He had a stinker once again today. 0 for 6, 1 point. Um, so Milwaukee, a bit shorthanded, right? A bit shorthanded. But I think Boston ultimately was the better team in this series. Uh, the better overall team, well put together team. And that's why I picked them. I thought they were the more all-around team in this series. Despite Boston having... I still think they lack in terms of like point guard issues. I still think they could use a point guard um, at times, at times where they get into this, when their offense gets into this stagnant place where it's just very ISO heavy. And I think that's what got them in trouble in this series versus a really good defensive team in Milwaukee where they would get into this ISO heavy and they would have these dry spells offensively. They just couldn't put the ball in the bucket. But like I said, once again, both both series were really great. Obviously, the Heat and the Warriors, I, I haven't had much time to talk about them, but they both advance. And like I said, I would this is not really an episode, a real like episode, traditional episode that you guys are used to. This is more like a live reaction. But I will, like I said. Episode later this week, I will discuss and break down those things. But I just wanted to give a quick reaction to the Game 7s because these were big Game 7s. And like I said, despite the games not being close in terms of scoring-wise, like, you know, <laughs> neither of these games were close. But they were still good watches. Like, these, these games were still okay to watch. Now, the Phoenix game... Uh, it, it got out of hand. Like once, once Dallas got up, went up forty. I just, you know, <laughs> I started prepping for this. So, like I said, just wanted to give a lot, uh, uh, just a quick reaction to the game sevens. This is nothing too in depth or serious. This is just a quick live first reaction because usually I have time. I have some time. I have like a day or two to like really flush out my thoughts. But I thought I'd give you guys a fair chance. You know. You get my reaction as soon as the game ends. Um, and you get my first thoughts. But this is just initially, this is my first thoughts of the game sevens today. This is my this is my thoughts. And I think and, I, and with Boston looking just looking at this series, I thought it was no way that Boston lose three home games in the same playoff series. And I got my stat guy to look it up because this is a comment that I've been making before when game at the game six, I was like, Boston, I don't think the Celtics have ever lost a series. I don't think they've ever lost three home games in the series in one playoff series, not talking about like throughout the duration of playoffs, but like 
in one playoff series, the Celtics have never lost three home games. So they had already lost game one at home. They lost game five at home. And then game seven, I didn't think they were going to lose the third game at home in the same playoff series in a game seven. I didn't see that happening. Um, It didn't happen. But even a guy like Al Horford, I'm sorry, but it feels like I'm rambling, but I'm not. A guy like Al Horford had a phenomenal series. Like, Like today, I mean, he only scored six points. But his effort, his intensity, what he was bringing to to Boston and that rotation throughout the series was awesome. And the defense that he did, that, that the effort, it's not so much like, okay, look at the, the, the stat sheet. Okay, Giannis may have had, like, his numbers may have looked great throughout this series. The shooting percentages weren't that great. But in terms of, like, the points per game and stuff like that, okay, it's a bit high. But if you watch the games, if you watch this series, Al Horford made him work. Al Horford made him work for those points. Made him work for those points. Uh, I would say with Boston, another thing is Robert Williams. The health of Robert Williams is going to be really critical coming down the stretch in the conference finals. And if they if they reach the finals, it's going to be really important because he is a big piece and puzzle to what Boston does, especially defensively. So that's going to be really key for Boston to keep him healthy, to see how healthy he can get um, by Tuesday, because I think that's the that's game one. Tuesday is game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. And I will have I will try to have you guys an episode either before that or definitely right on Tuesday. Um but this is this is this is uh this is the NBA. This is the NBA playoffs. Um, I'm going to let you guys go because, like I said, I don't want to be long, and I don't want this to, like, I don't want to drag this. But this is a quick reaction of Game 7s, of the Game 7s today. Um, i catch you guys later throughout the week. Like I said, I'm going to have a special guest come on uh, like we do for the NBA playoffs. But without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Hope you guys enjoyed. Shout, like I said, shouts out to all the first-time listeners. If you're a first-time listener, shout out to you. If you're a regular listener, shouts out to you. Um, you know how we get down over here. But without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Always remember, two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace. Deuces. <clears throat>